So when I was 21 years old, I dropped out of law school and I joined a presidential campaign and um, ended up doing advance. And advance, the advance team are the people who drop into a town three days before the principals, you know, the, the candidates are going to get there. And um, they throw, they, they, they get all the volunteers together and they, they put together the rally. So I would drop into little podunk towns in the middle of nowhere. And I would say in three days, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and Al Gore and Tipper Gore are going to come here for a big rally. Let's get together. And you'd walk into these little like strip mall, um, these like <laughs> little, little strip mall um, uh, campaign offices. And this is before the days of the internet or cell phones or anything. And if you were like super, super, super big time on the campaign, maybe you got a walkie talkie. I did not have a walkie talkie, um, but you would walk in and you would have to put together these rallies for tens of thousands of people. And that meant, you know, taking these small town volunteers and helping them understand security lines and, and Q to Q walkthroughs and where the media shots were going to come from and all of that stuff. So my Superpowers. I think that I've taken that same idea of advance and logistics and efficiency and 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 how do you maximize every minute so that you, you, you're sort of bending the space-time continuum um, into travel. And so anytime we go anywhere um, as a family, uh, or, or if I have a, a, a pretty extensive, you know, three or four uh, 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 stop trip, I put together like a like a little grid, and the grid looks very much like a presidential schedule because it's just how I learned to do it. So it's always exactly, you know, how you're going to be from here to here. I have a, an ability to see the entire trip from the minute I leave my house to how many get to the airport, where am I going to park? Um, what time do I need to get there to get through security? What time of day is it? So is security going to be busy? Is it the, is it, is it the beginning of school vacation week or is it a dead zone right in the middle of a Wednesday, right? So you have a sense of, do I need to get to the airport 40 minutes ahead of time or just 25 minutes ahead of time? And yeah, I do get to the airport sometimes 25 minutes ahead of time. Um, but the ability to sort of see the entire trip from start to finish, understanding how I can make it as maximally efficient um, as possible, I think is probably what I do better than most travelers. When you travel for a vacation, you don't worry about a wrinkled shirt. But when you travel for business, being connected, being presentable, and not having dead batteries are true causes for concern. So get on board for some business travel hacks with your host, Brian Eisenberg. My name is Laura Gassner-Odding. And I am a speaker and an author, and I have a terminal case of wanderlust. Now, I know that when you travel, uh, you tend to be a little bit of a worker bee. And um, this past number of months while you've been traveling, you've been working on a new book as an author. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And, and what do you do in order to be able to, uh, to actually write on a plane? Because I've always found that difficult. Yes, yeah, so my life is a little bit of a three-ring circus between the consulting that I do, my speaking engagements, the the, the writing. I've got a kid in middle school, a kid in high school. I'm super involved in politics and in philanthropy. And sometimes the only time that I get where I can just sit and focus 
is on an airplane. And I used to be that I would go on an airplane and I would use that time to do like logistics things like book my next flight or do some research about um, a, a vacation or, or, or set the family calendar or whatever it was I needed to do. And then I just started getting so annoyed with slow Wi-Fi or every once in a while, like, oh my God, the shame, there's no Wi-Fi. And I just decided to stop using that time um, to do those things. And I just use it to write. And that means Sometimes if I'm on a long haul flight, it means I have to make sure ahead of time to see if there's going to be plugs under the seat to make sure that I understand if it, you know, what kind of plane I'm going to be on. And so I'll sacrifice um, a certain time that I'm flying to be on a nicer plane, or I might um, pay up for first class because I know it's going to give me guaranteed space and room and I'll be able to get stuff done. But it's really a matter of thinking for me about where I get my best work done and where I can focus the most with the least amount of distractions. And sometimes it's hurtling through air uh, in a giant metal tube. And, and, and speaking about getting your best work done, the book, the book is actually a little bit about being the best you. How did you come up with that? Was that an inspiration through, through your travel or did, did you just decide based on your, your lifestyle that that's something you really needed to tackle? Well, I had been writing it as part of a guidebook series about how to find purpose in your work since I'd spent 20 years doing executive search for nonprofits and mission-driven organizations and really studying and researching leaders who 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 care about the why they do things, not just the what they're doing. And as I was writing the 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 book in this guidebook format, which is sort of chapter 1 problem solution, tra- chapter 2 problem solution, chapter 3 problem solution, the publisher called me up and he said, "You know, purpose is kind of a bigger topic than what's going to fit into this guidebook format. And so um, we're not going to publish it as part of the guidebook. And I said, "Um, what? (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't even planning on writing this guidebook. And I decided to do it because you reproached me about it. So what? There better be a but coming. And he's like, but we think it's this really huge idea and we'd like to publish it on its own. Uh, And uh, what do you think? Hardback next April. And so... (laughs) Merry Christmas, right? So the book went from uh, this guidebook about purpose, how to do work that matters, to limitless, how to ignore everybody, carve your own path, and live your best life. And the idea behind the book is that we all have this notion that success has to be going to the right school and getting the right grades and getting the right internship and getting the right job and checking off all the boxes. And then one day we turn around, whether it's, you know, in the first few years of our career or midway and, you know, our midlife or even as baby boomers, we turn around and we say, you know, I filled all the boxes. Why do I feel so empty? You know, it's just what else? There's got to be more. And so this idea for, for me came from what I've always done at every part of my career, which is just to say, what do I enjoy? What do I want to be? What are the values I want to manifest through the work? What's the lifestyle that I want to have? And if that means dropping out of law school, much to the chagrin of my parents, or if that means, um, starting my own business, much to the chagrin of my boss, or um, going off on this crazy adventure to become a speaker, there are moments in your life where you just say, if this is what I'm doing and it matches the who I want to be, then this is when I can become limitless. And the more you can find yourself in consonance with that, the more that your energies are aligned with your passion and your skills and your network, and you actually end up being more successful that way. So if we had to take that same principles to airlines, what would you think their values align with today? 
<laughs> well, you know, it depends. And I would say, um, as a business traveler, their values align with me, right? I get treated really well on airlines because I travel all the time. When I was when I was in college, I I, I spent a summer backpacking through Europe, and I was like, God, you know, what everybody says about these French people is true. These Parisians are so rude. And then I went back ten years later when I actually had a job and some money, and I was with my husband, and we were not disgusting, dirty, you know, smelly backpackers with fleas, true story. And uh, I was like, wow, these Parisians got so much nicer. And it turns out it's just like when you're traveling, not that often, you don't quite know what you're doing. You don't, you're not, you don't have the frequent flyer miles and you, you, you have to get on the plane last and there's no space for your overhead. You're not treated very well. And it's a really bad experience. But when you when you travel all the time and the, the the airlines know that you're their bread and butter, they just treat you better. So I don't know, like maybe maybe if I were applying it to the airline industry, I'd say their values align with me and that works out well for me. But it also means that for the vast majority of people, even though not the vast majority of their revenue dollars, it's not such a great experience. Yeah, and I would agree. I think, you know, but, it, but it, it, it'll come back to the old joke, right? The airlines only care about profits for the most part. And it's not, it's not a people business anymore. And it used to be about the service and, 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 and caring of people. Uh, and you get a little taste of that here and there, but it's really become more aligned around their profits. Yeah, I remember um, a couple of years ago walking through the San Francisco uh, airport and there was a display of all this old airline China. <laughs> I just remember thinking like, what a weird world that was when you would get in an airplane and they would serve you a meal on China. Of course, they would also give you an ashtray for your cigarettes. <laughs> You know, things have changed a bit. Um, but, you know, people don't get dressed to travel anymore. They don't. Um, it's it's not like part of the adventure. And I and all of my traveling that I do, either whether it's for work or, you know, all the traveling I do with my family, I feel very much like the trip starts from the minute you leave your house. And, you know, that that's about like, how do you get to the airport? And when do you get there? And what do you do once you're there? And how do you dress for the experience? And so I've never been like a sweatpants kind of traveler. I don't, you know, wear you know a, 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 a suit or anything. But I do feel like if you go into the trip, not thinking, oh, the travel is going to be such a pain in the butt. But once I get there, it'll be great. If you go into it thinking the travel is going to be part of the fun, then you can do things like what I just did with my 14-year-old and go to Qatar for, for, for two and a half days because the, the 13 hours that you're going to fly home where you're watching movies and they're feeding you and you're like hanging out, like you can see that as part of the adventure of the trip. And it just changes the entire experience. Completely. And it's interesting because I, I mean, I remember going on my first you know, long haul trips with my parents down to Argentina when I was younger and, and having that experience of uh, of the smoking in flight and the, and, and the China and all of that. So um, I, I'll ask you, what, what do you wish you knew when you first started traveling for business that you now know? Well, I would say I wish that I knew, uh, A, that um, – loyalty had its privileges, right? <laughs> like I, I, I wish I, I wish that I knew that if I started banking miles and, and loyalty early, that it would be a better experience. I also wish I knew the value of my time, you know, like taking three stops to go to an airport that's, you know, an hour away to get the car to rent. It actually costs you more money in the long run than taking the more expensive nonstop flight. Um, I wish I knew that there were certain airports like JFK, 
um, that are just a nightmare to fly through. That O'Hare in the winter is a crapshoot. Um, I just I wish that I knew that there were um, that there were easier ways to do it, um, and 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 that I valued the efficiency and my time more than the dollars necessarily. This is something that um, you've gotten, unfortunately, pretty good at dealing with is uh, men who are traveling and uh, how they uh, approach you and dealing with with them in an effective manner. And I'm sure many of our women listeners would love to know uh, some of your tricks behind that. Yes. Yeah, so this is sort of crazy and completely non-intuitive, but I have learned that men will leave me alone if I'm not wearing my wedding ring. Huh. Super weird, right? Super weird. You wouldn't think it. So I, I am a competitive rower and I do a lot of weightlifting, um, to support that and wearing a wedding ring for those two activities is not conducive to, um, non blisters, uh, non blistered hands. So I tend not to wear my wedding ring that often. Um, I wear it when I go into clients and I wear it on stage cause it tends to make people nervous when I'm not. Cause they're like, I know she's married. Why is she wearing a wedding ring? That's what they don't want to ask. Um, but what I've noticed over the course of traveling about 150,000 miles every year for at least the last 10 years is that not all men, but there is a subsection of men, and I'm sure some women too, who cross the threshold of a plane and think, woohoo, right? Like free. And there, there are some men who are just a little lecherous. And I know, you know, most of your women listeners are going, yep, uh huh, uh huh. Um, and what I've noticed is that it's this really strange thing. There's this idea of mutually assured destruction. Like if you're married and I'm married and we're both happily married, but maybe a little bored, um, we can, you know, play around a little bit and nothing's going to happen because neither one of us want to screw something up. But if I'm happily married and you're not, Hmm, right. I might end up with like a rabbit on my stovetop. Um, so I, I started noticing that men would approach me differently when I was wearing a wedding ring or when I was not wearing a wedding ring. And then they would ask a series of questions and the series of questions when something along the lines of, what do you do? What does your husband do? Oh, where's the last place you went on a vacation? Oh, where did you stay? I stayed at the Four Seasons, or did you stay at the Marriott, or did you stay at the Holiday Inn? And they were trying to get a sense of, are you happily married? Um, who earns the money, right? And, 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 and what do you have to lose, essentially? And I would start answering the questions differently every time, mostly because I was just a little bored and I happened to have not have had my, you know, my noise canceling headphones on early enough. And I was just curious about this as somebody who was, you know, we talked about this, just relentlessly curious about people. I was just curious. So I started to answer the questions in one way, which was, I'm super happily married and I make all the money. Um, and you know, but my husband, lost his job a couple years ago and he hasn't been as um as ambitious as I thought and all of a sudden the the, the all of a sudden the, the the questions would end and they would get busy doing something else because clearly I didn't have anything to lose if I answered the question as yeah I'm really everything's great um uh, my husband has this great job I don't really work um I'm just traveling to see some girlfriends then they were all over me like white on rice because they knew I couldn't lose my sugar daddy, right? So it's like I would answer the questions in this way that um, was really extreme in one direction or the other. And what I noticed is if I didn't wear my wedding ring and I um, answered the questions in a way that it seemed like if 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 my marriage fell apart, I'd be in I I, I um 
I, I, I would not be in trouble, then they would leave me alone. And so I just started doing that. And when I got on, when I get on planes now, even if I'm wearing my wedding ring, I'll often take it off because it means people will leave me alone. A little bit of uh, social A-B testing there. Fascinating. It's super weird. And it's like crazy <laughs> offensive even to think about it in this manner. And yet over the course of like a decade, I pretty much had like a 90% hit rate on this. No, but I, I mean, I understand the need for it. And uh, like I it's said, gross. You, you, it's totally gross. And even as I describe it, I'm like, I, I'm like the biggest feminist you'll ever meet. And yet this is, it's, it's sanity saving for me. So I'll leave you with one last question, which is uh, in, in, all, in all your years of travel, what is the best lesson you've learned? The best travel lesson I've learned in all of my years of travel. I think the best travel lesson I've learned in all of my years of travel is uh, that you don't have to do everything everywhere you are. So um, if you're somewhere on business and you don't have a ton of time, um, you can always go back, right? It's just, it's not worth making yourself crazy. Although, you know what? I think I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually going to amend this. The best travel lesson I've, I've learned in all of my years of travel is that it's okay to be gone without feeling guilty that you're, you've left your kids and you've left your husband and your, or your wife or your spouse, or you've left your friends. Like they see you working hard and they see you being successful and they see you going after your goals. And that is actually good for them also. So, you know, we put all of this guilt on ourselves of, oh my God, I'm gone again. And the truth is they don't necessarily miss us as much as we think they do, or even as much as they tell us that they do in the moment that we're leaving. And the lessons that they're getting from seeing us being gone, and then the lessons that they're getting about from seeing us being present once we're home are actually good for them long-term. Thank you for listening to Business Travel Hacks with your host, Brian Eisenberg. Catch us on the web at businesstravelhacks.com or at Business Travel Hacks on Facebook and Instagram.